I think people are far too focused on efficiency versus being effective and delivering the right solution for the customer, the thing the customer really wants. And the compared to how much we waste by building the wrong product or just getting a few things wrong and having to redo things, uh, whatever we lose in efficiency along the way is negligible. And, and that's where I think being in touch with the customer building empathy for them, understanding how they think about things, how they see things. That's what really matters. Welcome to the Human Insight Podcast, where we share with you the business stories, ideas, and trends shaping the future of customer experience, told firsthand by the experts themselves in thought-provoking conversations. Hi, everyone. I'm Janelle Estes, Chief Insights Officer at User Testing. And I'm Andy McMillan, CEO at User Testing. And today we're very excited to have our very own Kai Vandaloo joining us on the Human Insight Podcast. Kai is the Chief Technology Officer here at User Testing. And he has more than 20 years of experience in enterprise software, including SAP and Oracle. At User Testing, Kai is responsible for the User Testing platform. Thanks so much for joining us today, Kai, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. We're really excited to talk with you today. Um, but before we get into the meat of the the podcast, I believe you enjoy drinking beer. Am I right on that? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't sound very convincing. I know you are. Um, a, or I know you do. That was, a, that was an understated sell. That was an understated sell. Well, uh, we asked our user testing contributors who also enjoy an adult beverage every now and again to uncover some of the beer that they like, as well as what they think about some of the trends around craft beer heading into 2023. So let's take a look at what they said. What type of beers do you have in the house right now? Well, right now I have, um, well, I have Voodoo. IPAs. And it's uh, Three Floyds Zombie Dust. And then we have All Day IPA. I have some wheat, light beers. Um, I prefer sours. So I have one of those right now from Trim Tab Brewery, which is in Birmingham near where I live. And um, I have some Guinness. Um, so right now I have uh, just... A six-pack of um, Blue Moon. Right now, all I have is, like, some crappy Modelo in my fridge. see. I have um, Silent Neighbor Stout from Atlas Brewworks. And I also have a Flying Dog Cookies and Cream Stout right now. And Bell's Oberon, a uh, summer wheat ale that I'm still trying to get before it is discontinued for the rest of the year. When's the last time you drank a rose beer, sour beer, or non-alcoholic craft beer, or a CBD oil-infused craft beer? Um, so I would say the last time, I don't even know if this would be considered a sour beer. I did a cider this weekend um, just to try it. It was a pineapple cider. Um, you know, accidentally when I was... Um taking my friends home some beer it it turned out to be this rose some of these beer types and uh, didn't have um there was a non-alcoholic and we realized after this was an accident though uh, never had a rose beer 
do not drink non-alcoholic and haven't tried CBD oil infused craft beer yet. I've never tried any of them. Um, although I would be very interested in a CBD oil infused craft beer that that would be interesting. Um, it's been a while if I have. Um, I've not had non-alcoholic craft beers. I usually have alcoholic ones. When you buy craft beer for home consumption, how important is it to you to buy from a local brewer? Very important. Um, DC has a growing uh, craft brew scene, and I'm more than happy to um, buy craft beer from any local brewery in the nation's capital. But again, I tend to lean more on um, local beers, um, like to try the different craft beers in the area, IPAs and all that good stuff. Um, right now, I'm really into hazy IPAs. A regular IPA is okay, but a hazy is just a little bit more in my wheelhouse. I'm glad you asked me this question. It actually makes me want to go grab a beer. So I definitely can agree with that last contributor about uh wanting to go get a beer after talking about all those different types of beers. Is it too early for that, Kai? What do you think? Never too early for a beer. It depends on what kind of beer. Like, I like to start the day with a nice Hefeweizen, maybe a Weinstefan, and then you go from there. So it's, uh, it's not the question of what time it is. It's a question of what beer you drink. I, I love the, uh, the relationships some of these people have with the beer. So for me, like I'm from Michigan and Bell's is a Michigan brewer. And so it was exciting to hear somebody mention one of the micro brews that, that I like from where I grew up. So it's really like kind of fun to listen to people talk about small brewers and, and small brewing and just sort of the affinity people had was, was pretty neat. Yeah. And also how, I mean, I know it was a small group of people we heard from, but a lot of those trends, um, the, the, the different types of beer, the non-alcoholic beer, the CBD infused beer. Like a lot of people hadn't tried any of those new ones. And it, it's an interesting pattern, right? Like people are kind of stick with their, with what they know, um, with what they like, and maybe don't want to try new alternatives. Probably a little bit of a generalization, but that kind of stuck out to me. But I also find it fascinating. You could not have had this conversation 20 years ago. Like when I came to the US 25 years ago, you were hard-pressed to find any drinkable beer, let alone any variety. And now we have all these different kinds and all these microbreweries and all this passion around beer. And and American brewing has gone from being like the laughing stock to being the the shining light. If you go to any sophisticated beer pubs in Europe now, more than half of the beers are American craft brews. I think it's fantastic how far this industry has come with with passion and with enthusiasm, which I think is something we can all learn from. Yeah, absolutely. That uh, cookies and cream beer sounded intriguing to me, for sure. <laughs> uh, so we didn't uh, invite you on here just to talk about beer. Um, we wanted to talk about some interesting things that are happening in the software world. Uh, and when we think about uh, this idea of team workflows and company workflows and how we can support those with technology that seems to have become a trend over many years, uh, especially in the enterprise software world. So I'd love to hear from your perspective, you know, wh what are business company workflows and, and why are they important uh, in today's uh, ever-changing world? I think a lot of it has to do with how 
teams have been becoming more distributed. Companies have becoming larger and more distributed. When I started as a software developer many years ago, we were all sitting in one building. You wanted something. You walked over to to your colleagues and you sat down and with a cup of coffee and you talked about it. And if anybody wanted to know the status of anything, they just went over and asked. But we can't do this anymore with people being all over the world and everywhere uh, with organizations getting larger and larger. Remember, software companies weren't that big back then. Uh, Now they're big. They're big organizations. The, The stuff we build is mission critical for our customers. We make promises that our customers build plans on. So it's a it's a big responsibility and, and we, we need to have some consistency in how we work. Uh, there's a lot of information being generated every day that needs to be captured. So I, these more formal ways of defining how we work and, and tracking progress have become more important. And, and it's not about the formalism as much as it is about consistency and and making sure that things are predictable. If we have promised a customer something and they have started building their plans around it, we better make sure that we know that we're going to deliver on time. And if we're not on track, that we can, maybe we can support the team that needs help and such things. I think that software has gone, I think, from being an art that a bunch of smart people did together to be a bit more of an, an industry where we, other people rely on what we do and, and our commitments really matter. I, I think that's really insightful, Kai, and I agree. I think one of the things that's really changed in the last 20 years since, since you and I have been, been doing this is I think initially customers thought workflow was a way to take their process and institutionalize it. And more and more we're hearing customers say, I want the best practice as part of the process, and I want to shift towards that as well. And so we've really gone from this idea of, you know, come in as uh, and have software be something that's constructed to sort of automate the way I've always done things and make it a little bit easier. And so many folks now, and we're like this, we, you know, we consume uh, workflow products and things as, as a company internally and think of, you know, the stack of software that we run, not just the stuff that we make. And a lot of what we lean on now is our our partners, our vendor partners to help us be better because they have experience in how that process should work. And I think it's sort of this mix of of uh, technology, but also best practice and sort of a way to kind of drive efficiency and, and success within that process itself. Yeah, I think that's what we're all after. They're, as, as you know, it's hard to grasp sometimes, but there are more smart people outside of user testing than inside of user testing. So like, there are more best practices available to us than we can ever generate ourselves. And and I think that's an important part of all of this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, you know, we've been talking about workflows a little bit from our perspective. Uh, I'd love to show you a video, Kai, of our contributors talking about what they think about workflows and, 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 you know, what their mental models are around those. So let's give that a watch. How has the pandemic and remote work changed how we work with your peers? Well, it has changed quite a lot. Uh, to start with, um, we used to work in the office. And at the moment, I go to the office once in a week. And it has had a great effect on us, to be honest. We are more productive. We are able to save a lot of time. 
it definitely has changed a lot. Um, we're definitely communicating more online. We're trying to find different tools to communicate better, um, have meetings more often. Um, we're constantly trying to find things that work best for us. I definitely do more online collaboration now with different apps like Slack or, you know, Figma. Tools like Trello or Jira are really helpful. Sometimes you need like a lot of different platforms or apps to be able to complete one kind of work. Um, so sometimes that leads to errors. Maybe you're communicating through an app, then you have to communicate through another app and maybe you lose, um, part of essential communication, like a message that your coworker sent you and you missed it because you thought it was in the other app, for example. And that was like a crucial piece of information for you to work with. In, in a smooth integrate with, between the apps, platforms, or tools with, uh, with the workflow of an employee is very important because when people try to handle a difficult task, for example, if he or she want to, uh, wants to handle a task in a different app and that app is not in, integrated well in, in, in the workflow, uh, the level of anger would be increased. And this is a normal a react from an employee, from a person. And I think, yeah, the result is often uh, include more errors, more anger, more stress. It takes more time to sort out in different ways or just wait for it. And therefore, you need to push back things or you need to overwork. At the end of the day, you are not happy with anything at all. It was just so confusing trying to like use that synchronous, like synchronously across different devices um, because we didn't all have the same subscription or like something just didn't work, um, didn't have it downloaded on the right spot, which is like ridiculous. Um, so we ended up like using a different platform, for example, Figma, that was easier to work with um, because it just kind of reduced the number of problems and let us just actually focus on work versus like wasting time on random errors. Being able to focus on work instead of the technology. What a novel idea. <laughs> um, it's really interesting though, you know, hearing from people and talking about essentially this, these technologies have to fit into the way I work, not the other way around. I'm not going to adapt to the way these technologies work. Um, it's fascinating. What are your thoughts on, on this feedback, Kai? Well, it's kind of interesting how they're talking about doing more things online now. <clears throat> I think for us, we always had a quite a distributed organization here at user testing. So we always did a lot of online collaboration. So the pandemic wasn't like a big change for us. What really changed was had a bigger impact was our global expansion. When we started working across many time zones outside of just of North America, how we, we, uh, started relying more on asynchronous collaboration models. And, and that's where kind of the, the, all these workflow tools and knowledge management becomes so much more important because I can't just walk around the office and ask my colleagues and I cannot just even pick up the phone and call them because they may be at the pub by now. So it's, uh, that has changed a lot. And, uh, I think, to Andy's earlier point, 
we don't just adopt these tools to maintain the way we work. I think we all want to learn from them. And this one lady was speaking of Figma. I think one, one thing Figma introduced was more collaboration than anybody ever had before. So I think it's a little naive, this talk of, oh, I just want the software to conform to my way of working. I'm not going to change. I, I think that's uh, very naive, actually. I think in, in reality, we adopt these products because they help us work in better ways. And needless to say, if I look at how we use our own product, user testing here, that's not just to do keep doing what we did before. It is to add to it, to the, the things that, that user testing brings, the, the real feedback from, from our real users. That's something we largely didn't have before. So like we've implemented this piece of software to work in new ways, to get better, not to keep doing what we did before. So I think this is a little, people like to say that I'm not going to conform to the software. The software should conform to me. But I think that's also a, a way to say no to a lot of value that, that the software brings. I think that's interesting, Kai. When we think about um, workflow as a software concept, I know there are sort of typical business processes that people think of being software driven, right? Expense report management, accounts payables, billing. Like there are sort of, if you went to a, an enterprise workflow conference, there's like six or seven core use cases that most people would identify with and would probably say, oh, I get that. Like our core competency of a company is not to be the world's best, you know, user of uh, expense management. And that's why we're an amazing company. It's to build great products and services for our customers. But one of the things that I think is, is also really changing is those are starting to be put into kind of workflow models as well. And we sometimes read about them as sort of software development processes and things like that. But could you talk a little bit about, you know, how you see from, from your seat uh, sort of concepts around workflow and the software development process and the tools people use? Like, how is that becoming a set of best practices? And then how do we think about, you know, our product fitting into that mix and sort of customer feedback as part of that workflow? I think you have to look at how people work today and why they do that. Um, what, what I'm very interested in is when I look across our organization is what, what is it that people really want to do and, and that delivers value versus where have we institutionalized weird workarounds for shortcomings in tools or in anything else we had before, or where do people do things because they've been told to do them. Uh, we want to support the former like and, and formalize that a little, institutionalize best practices around the things that people actually want to do and make sure, again, that we have a bit of consistency uh, across this. And then um, I would like to see, and, and ideally, these, what these tools do is they support the individual so that people want to use them. It's not a big burden, but then almost as a side effect, they create this visibility for others to also participate in what's going on. And um, I think our typical workflow tools, like I think I'm on my fifth company now using Jira and Confluence for knowledge management. They're great. They don't put a lot of burden on the individual using them, but they do create a lot of visibility for others. So they really foster 
collaboration and they foster asynchronous collaboration because I don't need to be there here and now. I can look when I have time. And then handled well, again, consistency, I think, is a key word in all of this. If we do things consistently, you create visibility across the whole organization. So if we want to know how we're doing with a certain initiative, something we know is important to our customers, maybe something we've promised them, we can easily get that information without having to invite 20 people to a meeting and check what the status is. We can do that in a non-intrusive way. So I think the trick really is to find these things that aren't um, too confining for the individuals in the organization, but that still provide this like organizational visibility. And again, I think our own product is is fantastic for that, where one person may go out to get feedback, but others can discover this feedback. We can sh not only we, we can actively share the feedback, of course, and we make clips and highlight wheels and we put them in Confluence and we put them in Jira and we illustrate um, a lot of the conversations we have with them. But they also start forming a repository where, where people can go in and search for things that uh, they may want to know about. So th this is, I think, an ideal situation where individuals use the software to get their job done. Teams function better because they work together, enabled by software, and then whole organizations function better because you get this organizational visibility, you get a lot of reuse of knowledge. So I think it's uh, it's amazing to see, and, and I don't know if anybody's ever tried to measure this, but like the productivity of a software development organization today compared to when we had to go knock on people's shoulders and invite them to a cup of coffee to get anything done. It's uh, pretty amazing how far we've come. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And, and I think your point on visibility is well made. We hear from a lot of folks in the <clears throat> sort of design and research space, you know, how do I have visibility into what's going on around the organization? How do I make sure that my team has the most impact on what things we're building for customers? And part of that's just having a vehicle to see what's going on. Like if you have a, a software development process that includes, you know, ideation, coming up with new ideas and design for vetting out what solutions are the right answer and then, you know, building and, and you know, quality testing. I think the feedback we hear from a lot of people in the UX research and in the design space is, you know, if I had more visibility into all the solutions we're ideating out on the designs that we're thinking about, I can, my team can help support those efforts more effectively. And conversely, we hear from folks that, um, you know, want that kind of work to be done, being able to say, boy, if I had some visibility into how fast I can get that, what that could look like, you know, how to share that further downstream. Uh, it's really powerful. I know, Kai, you and your team have been doing a lot of uh, of even demoing of user testing, like through the point of view of Jira. It's sort of like, oh, here's here's all the places we get feedback and here's the, where the status of all that feedback is. I think it's really an interesting way to sort of encapsulate, to your point, some of the best practices that, that we see, but also that our customers show us in a process that is really beneficial to all our customers when it sort of gets encapsulated that way. Yeah, I completely agree. And even if it's a simple set of states that you have in Jira that the task goes through, it's so helpful because other people can come in and see what's going on. And you also, as, as the person living through this, have such an efficient 
way of communicating it uh, without taking a lot of your own time for that. In all of this, though, we talk about workflows and and, and, and worst case, we talk about automation. It reminds me a little of like the early 90s, maybe, where we were trying to do all of this. But in all of this, I, I think we don't want to lose the human element. And I think one thing that that it does, if we have our processes in good order, it frees up time for just having conversations. I think one of my highlights of my weeks always is when I talk to our new hires, both in one-on-one -on -one conversations without any fixed agendas, just getting to know people and understand what they care about at work, maybe what they care about outside of work if they care talking about that. Uh, and we do our new hire meet and greets where we just chat and put people in front of each other and put them in front of people who've been here for a long time. I think things like that also is important. We shouldn't forget that. We talk about automation, this and workflows and processes. If we can use the, the efficiency we gain through that and then add back in uh, this, this human element, I think we really uh, have won. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And even adding the human element back into uh, the, the process and workflow, right? If you kind of look at the other side of the coin, not just getting to know your colleagues better and, and working with them more uh, uh, efficiently in a more human way, if you will, um, you can do the same with your customers. If you're efficient and building product and experiences with defined workflows that are, you know, um, creating efficiency for you and your team, um, that then allows for space uh, for you to really connect with with your customers. I always find it fascinating when you actually look at, um, and I talk to many companies where it's like this internal team is focused on this workflow to get something out the door. And many times the customer is an afterthought. Like many times the customer is actually not integrated into that workflow. And I think that that's actually, when I think about the future for us and the future for customer feedback within an organization, that is really exciting um, because I think there's such an opportunity for the customer to be part of the workflow. Like, why shouldn't they be? A absolutely. And I think people are far too focused on efficiency versus being effective and delivering the right solution for the customer, the thing the customer really wants. And the compared to how much we waste by building the wrong product or just getting a few things wrong and having to redo things, uh, Whatever we lose in efficiency along the way is negligible. The, the big failures, the big failures I've had in my career have been when we built the wrong thing. Like either we discovered when we were about to ship it that people couldn't use it, or even worse, after we shipped it, we figured out people didn't need it, or, or usually it's they can't figure out how to use it, and we have to go back and rework it. You lose time and you lose motivation, and the customers lose patience and that's the true waste and, and that's where i think being in touch with the customer building empathy for them understanding how they think about things how they see things that's what really matters yeah it's a tough comeback if you launch a product and it's not successful to then go to the management team and go yeah but we built it really quickly doesn't really 
doesn't really pay off like you'd expect it to. So I, I think that's very insightful. Absolutely. So we're going to move to the lightning questions round. Um, this is a series of questions that we ask every guest on the podcast. So is there a book that you've recently read uh, that you'd recommend to listeners? You know, Julia Donaldson? I don't. It's this um, it's this British author of children's books, but they're super clever. It's like a maybe not quite Dr. Seuss level, but very close. And uh, I recently bought one that I read last night in Scots. So not only is it this like super clever British humor, but it's also been translated into Scots. So when I read this in my fake Scottish accent, it sounds even uh, more fun than it does in the original British English. I think we have to get that in the queue for the podcast. I think we need to have a Kai reading of this book at some point. But all right, sorry, keep going. Lightning round, I shouldn't be interrupting. Keep going. <laughs> I love that. Um, how about a piece of advice that you'd give someone trying to convince others to invest in customer feedback? Just do it. Just show people what it is like once. Have them do it once. I've not seen anybody who doesn't get excited when we show them what they can do. I love it. And uh, finally, when you think about the future of what we're building at user testing, what are you most excited about? It's getting it into everybody's hands. I, I love to see organizations work where they have these this customer feedback and, and insights from customer interactions woven into everything we, they do. Uh, I think we've come, we've taken a few steps in that direction ourselves, but we have a long way to go. And, and I just love to see you walk into a company and maybe they have highlight reels playing on their big screen TVs across the office. You have people having discussions based on what customers have told them, not based on what their opinions are. And, and really like building that empathy and, and weaving this customer feedback into the daily decision making. We make so many decisions every day that I think can be made better by uh, this kind of human feedback that we help collect. It's not just a tool for expert users who, who would do this kind of re research anyway. It's a, it's something that enables everybody to make better decisions. That's what I want to get to. Yes, I am uh, right with you, Kai, and super excited about that future as well, especially as someone who's spent most of my career advocating for uh, teams to listen to their customers, uh, being able to partner with you on making that, you know, dream come true uh, is is amazing. So I'm looking forward to that future too. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kai, for joining us. This was great to hear your perspective on all things beer, all things workflows, uh, and all things uh, user testing and human insight. So thanks for joining us. Yeah. Cheers to that. It was great. Thanks, Kai. Thanks, Janelle. Thanks, Andy. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, please share it with a friend or coworker. If you think it could have been better, let us know. Email us at podcast at usertesting.com. Thanks.